Well, good morning. Again, I'm so grateful for the privilege of sharing uh, the truth from God's Word with you this morning. And every time that we read God's Word, we should come away from it, from that time, with a change in the way we think, change in the way we speak, change in the way we act, that we should be more like Jesus after reading his word than before we did. Because chronic inaction in response to God's word will result in callous indifference to it. If God's word does not move us when we spend time studying and meditating, if it doesn't change us, it hardens our heart against it. So that is my encouragement for all of us, myself included, this morning, that as we study God's word, we would come away changed. And so that's a bit of a challenge with historical narrative books like the book of Genesis. Genesis is primarily recounting history that happened. So that makes it a little bit more challenging. But by spending time and focusing and meditating on that word, doing the hard work, we can receive practical application that is relevant for us today. The men of Sharpen are are learning that lesson on Monday nights. We're going through another historical narrative, the book of Nehemiah. And the men are using just a few verses every week, but really meditating on it and pulling out from it truth about God, truth about us, the commands, the sins, the examples that we should follow. And it's just been a few short weeks already, but we're seeing a change in and through the men that are participating in Sharpen. So, men, I look forward to getting together again tomorrow night, Lord willing. A brief recap of what we looked at in the previous weeks as Pastor James taught through uh, the chapter 25. We saw the birth of Jacob and Esau, the death of Abraham, ending with Esau selling his birthright. And this chapter will shift focus from Esau to Isaac. And we're going to see a wonderful example of God and his character, that he's immutable, he doesn't change. When he makes a promise, he keeps it, even when we falter, even when we are not faithful. And so we'll look at chapter 26, we'll see the example of Isaac and God's character on display, and we'll end with a brief look at Esau. And so if you would, please open up your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 26. We'll be in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath 
that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So in those days, it was common to go to major population centers like Egypt during times of famine. And that's what Isaac was doing. He was on his way to Egypt when the famine hit. And there the Lord appeared to Isaac for the first time and instructed him not to go to Egypt. Now, Gerar was a halfway stop between that area and Egypt. So it was natural for them to stop there. And God tells Isaac the promise he made to Abraham at a time when Isaac was dealing with the famine. And it's just a, a little brief illustration example of God offering encouragement during difficult times. Isaac was dealing with the famine. In modern parlance, it was a result of drought and supply chain issues. With the drought comes a, a lack of vegetation, lack of vegetables and grains, which in turn results in a lack of feed for the livestock. So the livestock end up dying of starvation, which in turn results in a lack of meat. So it's a cascading effect. We're seeing the same thing today. With the supply chain issue having a ripple effect through various needs that we have that we didn't think we had at the beginning before this happened. And through all of this, it's important to note that God keeps his promise. Absolutely 100%. Everything that God says he will do, he does. And he does it right on time. So the first point to take away from this so far is that it's important to discern between the unconditional promises of God and those promises that are conditional on man's response. Now, God's unconditional promises are solely his to fulfill. We can't cause a different outcome, and we shouldn't even try to. God promised that to Abraham. It was an unconditional promise, and the Lord is faithful to carry out that promise. But here's another promise that, that is important for us as modern-day believers in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's a promise from God. It's an unconditional promise. This will happen. And I think we see that unfolding in our times today. We shouldn't be afraid of it. We should be ready because the Lord has given us advance notice. That's the, one of the purposes of prophecy is to give us advance notice, to give us warning of what's to come. 
not to be fearful, not to be fretting, but to be aware. Because the Lord has equipped us to deal with this properly. Because where he guides, he provides. And if he's warning us that persecution is coming, he has given us the gifting and the tools and the resources we need to walk righteously through those difficulties. But that is, that is an unconditional promise of God. There's nothing that we can do to prevent that from happening. But again, don't be fearful. Be ready. Next, we see that God's promises are repeated, not because he needs to be reminded, but because we do. The Lord's memory is perfect. He never forgets anything. He may choose not to remember some things, like our sins, if we've repented and believed in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, but he doesn't forget. But we do, and we see in Scripture, the Old Testament examples of people forgetting. We have short-term memory. Israel forgot their slavery just 30 days out into the desert after the exodus, and they wanted to go back to Egypt to the leeks and the garlic and all the wonderful food. They forgot their 400 years of slavery. It only took 30 days for them to forget. But there's another example that we find in Korah's rebellious worship. Korah thought he had a better idea for worshiping the Lord rather than what the Lord had said. And 250 men died that day of judgment. Now, you would think the nation of Israel learned from that. Oh, we better do worship God's way. But the very next day, the people rebelled in result, and as a result of the punishment that was, was handed out. And so the Lord had to teach them yet another lesson in which 14,700 people died as a result of their grumbling and their rebellion. Just one day later, less than 24 hours, that's how quickly we can forget God's promises. We can forget God's commands. That's why we need to be in God's word. To remember his commands. Remember who he is. Remember what he has done through Christ. Remember his promises. Remember his plan for the future. Because he has a plan for the future. We know how the story ends. That gives us hope and joy in the midst of uncertainty midst of a, a, a world that is helpless and hopeless. We should never forget. That's why we're in God's word. To remember all of those things. Verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the man of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. 
So Abinadab warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, you might be thinking exactly what I'm thinking. Is that this again? Isaac lied about Rebecca, just as Abraham lied about Sarah. Now, the Abimelech that's mentioned here is not the same Abimelech that Abraham lied to back a few chapters earlier. And it's possible that this Abimelech was a descendant of that, of that one, or it could be that Abimelech is a title, a position like Pharaoh. And so as I was reading this, I was reminded of a 1970s song uh, by uh, Dr. Hook in the Medicine Show. When you're in love with a beautiful woman. Apparently Abraham and Isaac suffered uh, the, uh, the challenges portrayed in that song. Isaac lied to Abimelech. There's no other way to put it. Isaac lied, and he sinned. Isaac sinned. For the purposes of this message this morning, the definition of lying is telling an untruth for the purposes of deceiving or manipulating. And that's exactly the reason why Isaac said Rebekah was his sister. Now, here's a difficult truth. Believers in general don't attack the sin of lying as they do others' sin. Why is that? I think it's because that is a sin that each and every one of us can succumb to at any moment, at any point in our lives. Some sins can only happen in certain ages and stages. But lying is a, is a danger for us for our entire life. We now live in a culture where truth doesn't matter. We have things called alternative facts, where tried and true science is no longer trusted, but some random talking head on YouTube is. There are others who say, speak your truth, that whatever you feel is true is true. Here's something out of God's Word that unfortunately you won't find on a plaque at Hobby Lobby, but it should be there. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Now, based on the current events this year, we have placed a lot of focus and attention on abortion. And that is certainly an abomination. It is the shedding of innocent blood. Absolutely, there's no question about it. But it's not, it's not the most serious sin. It's not the most serious abomination. We see 
that the Lord has identified seven abominations in this list. And actually, two of them are related to lying. So two out of the seven abominations have to do with someone not speaking truth. We shouldn't tolerate lying. It's an abomination before the Lord. We should be just as vocal and fighting against lying as we do any other thing that the Lord calls an abomination. It's that serious. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 31, 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And then this account out of the Gospel of John as Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. John chapter 8, verse 44. This is Jesus directly rebuking the Pharisees. You are of your father, the devil, and you will, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Pretty harsh words from our Lord about lying. Lying stands directly against the Lord and his word. Lying is the only sin described in Scripture as having a father. If you find yourself lying... Ask yourself the question, who's your daddy? And no, you won't need Maury and a paternity test for the answer. It's that serious. Sin is serious business. But the Lord has shown us in his word how we can have an early warning system against sin. So let's take a few moments to look at the three how-to steps to go from temptation to sin so we can avoid that. And the first example we find, and we're not going to turn there, we don't have time this morning, but we did study these verses in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. The three steps to go from temptation to sin are outlined in just a few short verses there. And the first step towards sin is doubt. Doubt about God's word. Not, comp- not correctly comprehending God's word. Eve didn't get it right. She did not speak correctly what God had said. Isaac only knew not to go to Egypt. And that was maybe the only instruction he thought he was going to get. But here in our church family, we have a weekly worship service. We have men's discipleship, women's discipleship, koinonia groups, plus those impromptu gatherings that we have before and after service and all throughout the week that we're not all aware of. All of it to get us regularly in God's word, not just to read it, but to meditate it, understand, reflect on it, and receive the truth of what it says and how to apply it to our words, our lives. The next step in going from temptation to sin is uncertainty. Uncertainty about God's intentions by what he said. It's an incorrect emphasis 
Eve looked at the physical attributes of the fruit, did not consider, well, why did God say not to eat it? She just looked at the, the physical attributes and said, oh, it's, it's beautiful. It looks like it's going to be tasty. Isaac thought that because the Lord hadn't given him a destination yet, that where he was was the place to be, downtown Gerar. That's, that's a, a decision that he, conclusion that he drew. And then the third step. This is the final step before succumbing to sin, and that's fear. And it's fear about God's character. Fear that God is not holy. Fear that God is not good or that he's not just. Eve feared that God was holding back something good. She feared she was going to miss out on something good. Isaac feared death. He didn't trust the Lord to protect him. He thought because Gerar was the place for him to be, that he had to do whatever he had, had, he had to do to preserve himself. He did not trust in God's protection and sovereignty. These three steps lead to an unrighteous response, sin. Expositional preaching, what we do here on a regular basis, have three steps also. Observation, interpretation, and application. Those three steps are designed to combat those other three. And the result of observation, interpretation, and application of God's word is a righteous response. And that's why it's important to be sitting under sound, solid biblical teaching. And by God's grace, we have that here. We want to be faithful and obedient to that. Brothers and sisters, we're living in spiritually dangerous times. What is the final step before sin? Fear. Every political party, every special interest group in our culture is pushing, stoking, and promoting fear. Now, I have a little news portal app that helps me assemble trustworthy news sources. And in a few minutes, I just want to capture what what was in the essence of this news feed. And this is what I found. Fear of floods, fear of drought, fear of wildfires, fear of fascism, fear of immigrants, fear of inflation, fear of the police, fear of China, fear of the IRS, fear of books, fear of missing out, fear of socialism, fear of science, fear of of water quality, fear of government overreach, fear of Russia, Fear of viruses, fear of insurrection, fear of climate change, fear of vaccines, fear of public education, fear of homelessness, fear of religious persecution, fear of nuclear war, fear of being canceled, fear of the mark of the beast, fear of mass shootings, fear of real estate market crash, fear of election integrity, fear of being canceled, and fear of fentanyl lace Halloween candy. That's just a partial list. That's not even a complete list. I stopped after a few minutes. I'm like, this is too much. 
we are bombarded with reasons to be fearful. And we all know that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But the problem is, or the challenge is, in this culture of fear, everybody is on the edge. They're on the edge of fear. And it doesn't take much to go from doubt, uncertainty, fear, to sin. It could just be a little nudge or just someone fall into sin. And we're seeing that today, aren't we? It's happening all over. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be on the sound footing of God's word and not succumb to fear. Now, out of that list, there is some validity of concern in each and every one of those items. Absolutely. But we should not be fearful because the Lord is with us, he's equipped us, and we know how the story ends. And there we saw Isaac succumb to fear, fear of death, and that resulted in sin. Now, here's some effects of sin. Our sin can cause others to sin. Did you know that? When we sin, it isn't in a vacuum. Our unrighteous act can trigger an unrighteous response. Isaac's lie opened the door for Abimelech or his men to sin. Abimelech himself admitted, hey, what are you doing here, Isaac? You could have caused one of us to sin. If we lie to manipulate someone and that person sins as a result, their sin is really our sin because that person was not operating with the truth. Another effect is our sin affects those around us and those we encounter. Isaac's sin put Rebekah in danger. When the lie was exposed, Abimelech might have had both Isaac and Rebekah killed. It was a bad plan all the way around. And we see other examples in Scripture of how one person's sin affects others. We all remember the prophet Jonah. The Lord commanded him to go to Nineveh to preach repentance. And Jonah says, nope, they're not worthy. I'm going the opposite direction. So he got on a ship And what did the Lord do? He brought a storm. Almost capsized the ship. The men on the ship were frantically praying to their gods to save them from this storm that was going to capsize the ship. They didn't know why they were encountering that storm until Jonah told them, well, yeah, the Lord God Almighty told me to do this. I didn't do it, so he brought a storm. And they're like, well, get right with your God. That was their response. They, did, they were unaware, but they were affected. They were affected by Jonah's sin of rebellion. And, some, and another example. Another example is, in, we find in Joshua, where after the nation of Israel took over Jericho. There was another skirmish after Jericho. 
the battle of Ai. And Israel was defeated by a, a, an insignificant number of soldiers. And Joshua didn't know why. Well, it turned out that one of the men in the army, Akan, had taken one of the objects that were destined for destruction. He kept it for himself. And the Lord had commanded, destroy everything, don't leave anything. And so Akan took this object, hid it, and, the, and Israel suffered as a result of one man's sin. And it was after judgment was passed on that one man was the nation of Israel restored uh, to the Lord and subsequent victories in battle. That's what sin does. It affects others, and they don't even know what's happening. Families can suffer because of the selfish decisions of the husband or the wife. And the family suffers as a result. But we're left with the question. Why did Isaac think to lie about Rebekah. Did Abraham not tell Isaac that he did the same thing and how that turned out? Did Abraham withhold that from him? Did, was Abraham embarrassed and not admit that to Isaac? Or did Abraham share that with Isaac and thought, well, thanks for the warning, Pops, but I'm going to do it right this time. That happens too. We're not sure. The scripture doesn't say. But we can't take this fr away from that. And that is being transparent about our sin can help others avoid that sin. It's true. We have the opportunity to share with others how we have fallen to sin and even those areas where we've had victory over sin, because that happens as well. At times when we've fled temptation rather than succumbed to temptation. It's all helpful. But this requires humility and trust. It requires humility on the person sharing their experience to show others their imperfections. It's a difficult thing to do. It requires humility on our part to let others know, yeah, I have fallen short in this area, and this is what it cost. So humility is required. But also trust. When we are transparent about our sin, we are humbling ourselves before others, but the person on the receiving end, the hearer, needs to be trusted not to judge. And that's the challenge. There are some who are still not mature enough to be trusted with truthful transparency. But that's okay. That's what discipleship's all about. We're all works in progress, and if we are falling short in one area of maturity and growth... That's an area to grow in and to minister and disciple and mentor in. 
but both are required, humility and trust. So I just want to encourage you, my dear brothers and sisters, if you have the opportunity to receive a transparent truth from a brother and sister, don't judge. They're sharing their heart with you. They're sharing their uh, life with you. They're trusting you to deal with that information correctly. Take that and receive it as the gift that it is that could help you avoid a sin. Verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. You are much mightier than we. It's helpful to note that the stopping and filling of the wells is an indication that this is the same area that Abraham dwelt in. So Isaac has kind of just been circling back into land that his father had uh, dwelt in. And the Lord lavished blessings on Isaac, hundredfold the first year, in the midst of a famine. Because we have to remember, this is why Isaac ended up in Gerar. It was a famine. And yet Isaac was prosperous because the Lord blessed him. Blessed him with flocks, with herds, servants. No indication of an army. So why would Abimelech be afraid? Did he have good reason to be afraid? I think so. Next point is that our sin tarnishes our reputation. Our lies destroy others' trust. Trust is lost in bucketfuls, but gained in drops. To Abimelech, Isaac was a convincing liar. He fooled the king. He fooled all his men. If Isaac had told him he was also peaceful, why would Abimelech believe him? Here's this mighty man who says he's peaceful, but I don't know. He lied about his wife. If he was willing to sacrifice his wife, what else is he willing to hide? A person who lies to you will lie about you. And a powerful person who lies is dangerous. And let's see what the result of that is in verse 17. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servant, servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they contended with him. And they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well, 
and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Isaac wasn't even welcome in the suburbs of Gerar. But the Lord showed Isaac favor, but the people still wanted nothing to do with him. So we see another, another effect of sin. Although through Christ Jesus, God forgives our sins, earthly consequences may remain. If we lose a limb as a result of sin and we confess we are forgiven of that sin, but the limb doesn't grow back. If we lose a relationship because of sin, that relationship might not be restored. We are forgiven, but that relationship remains broken. This is an important point. We should not interpret the ongoing consequences of sin as if God did not forgive us. That is the wrong conclusion to draw. The the consequence, if we experience a consequence from our sin, earthly consequence, it's to be a reminder for us that we sinned and what the result was. God is faithful and just to forgive us, but there can be earthly consequences that carry on from that sin. That does not mean that God didn't forgive us. So be... Be careful to understand that. Verse 23. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar and Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, we have, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have not done to you have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace you are now the blessed of the lord so he made them a feast and they ate and drank in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace Quite a turnaround. So why did Abimelech have a change of heart? He said that he saw that God was with Isaac. But God blessed Isaac before Abimelech kicked him out. And Abimelech wasn't with Isaac when God appeared the second time to Isaac. So what changed? I think it was in part 
due to how Isaac responded to the quarrels over the wells. So here's another point for us to consider. Our reputation can be restored by consistent and sustained humility and meekness. Abimelech said that Isaac was mightier than them. Yet, when there was quarreling, Isaac moved on. And if, you got to wonder, if Isaac was mightier than Abimelech, why would they quarrel with him in the first place? Hey, you're mightier than us. Here, take the well. They didn't. They quarreled. And Isaac moved on. And it happened again. So it wasn't just a one-off. It happened again. There was quarreling, and Isaac moved on. Abimelech must have heard about those encounters and saw that Isaac was not a bully. He was not using his might for forceful gain. That's meekness. And in those verses, we see that God reminds Isaac that his plan is still effect and still on track. And this final point from these verses, God does not approve of our sin, but he can use it to accomplish his purpose. God is sovereign, and his will prevails. Isaac chose his own words and actions. That was totally on Isaac. But it resulted him ending up where God wanted him to be. Our sin won't stop his plans, but it'll cause us pain in the process. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. So we should not just sin willingly and wantonly because, well, God's plan is all going to work out. That's not the lesson to learn at all. That even, even in spite of our shortcomings, even when we fall short and stumble, God's purpose and plan for our life continues forward. It might take a different path than it would have if we didn't sin, but his will for our lives will be accomplished. The Lord promised he's coming back for us. That's a promise. It's an unconditional promise. There's nothing we can do to make him come back sooner or delay him. Praise the Lord for that. The rapture of the church does not depend on any one of us doing a particular thing. Because if it is, we're all in trouble and it's my fault. The Lord is sovereign in all that. He weaves it all in. And that should draw us to gratitude and praise. A desire to be more obedient to his word, to give him glory, to bless others, to, to live out the life he's called us to live. And we saw that in Isaac's life. Isaac made a decision to sin, and that did not prevent the Lord from accomplishing his purpose to get Isaac to end up where he needed to be. Praise the Lord. But we can make the journey a little bit smoother if we don't sin. And the final two verses, verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, 
and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Adult children that give their parents agita goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now we're going to look at Isaac, Lord willing, I mean Esau, Lord willing, in the coming weeks. But just a, just a wonderful example that parents never stop being parents. The relationship that parents have with children when they're adults is certainly different than when they're children at home. That relationship can change, should change, but the burden that parents have for their children never does. So one final thought. Our fight against sin is a demanding one. It's tiring to fight sin. It's tiring to flee temptation. I'm looking forward to the day when the Lord calls us home or comes back for us because that's one of the things we won't have to deal with anymore, the battle of sin. We'll be in his presence and we could just focus on worshiping him, rejoicing, and not have to not be exposed to sin. So our fight against sin is a demanding one, but the Lord has fully equipped us for the fight. Where he guides, he provides, and he is a he has provided for us abundantly to fight sin. We have God the Holy Spirit in us. For those of us who repented and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and abide in him, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. God the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the grave, that power is in us to carry out God's commands, to be obedient to his words. He's equipped us that way with the Holy Spirit in us. We have God's word with us. His truth about who he is, our condition, the gospel. It's on every device we have. Many of us have numerous copies of the Bible in our homes. We have access to God's word 24-7 like never before in any point in the history of mankind. Why did he do that? Because he knows we're on the precipice of what's the next step in his prophetic plan. And we need access 24-7 to his word. We have 24-7 access to his spirit, 24-7 access to his word. And we also have God's people around us. Brothers and sisters, our church family, around us. Now, we're not quite the 24-7 around us. Not yet, but we're working on it. But that encouragement and fellowship and discipleship and mutual ministry, we encourage one another, exhort one another. We all have blind spots. And I see your blind spots. You see mine. I need that. That's why it's a blind spot, because I can't see it myself. So praise the Lord for community. Praise the Lord that he's growing us in depth of, belief, of discipleship and believers. There are 120 men and women that are participating in men's discipleship and women's discipleship in this very season. There are 140 men and women in the koinonia groups that we have. And there's quite a bit of an overlap but there's still quite a few that are in one or the other. We have multiple ways of staying connected. That doesn't even include the, what I'll call, organic Bible studies and, and, and 
uh, gatherings of brothers and sisters in homes that are not part of any uh, formal uh, ministry. And as Pastor James prayed earlier about our Canyon Cares, just an outpouring of love, to desire to help one another and help those in need and to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. The Lord has fully equipped us for this fight. We're in this together. If you're not in any one of those groups, if you're not connected with another brother or sister in our church family, it's a dangerous place to be. Because the enemy is prowling around, seeking one to devour, and they'll pick off the lone person. Be in fellowship, be in community. Have brothers and sisters you can trust. Be transparent with one another, encouraging one another. Because days are evil. Heavenly Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your infallible, authoritative word. He's eternal. It's always true. And Lord, as we look back in history at Isaac, the example uh, set before us this morning, we see an ordinary man who was given an extraordinary promise by you, the perfect promise keeper. And Lord, we thank you for that example, that we see that Isaac stumbled, he fumbled, and yet you were sovereign over that situation. You protected him and his family. You protected others from potentially sinning accidentally. And all the while, you never stopped carrying out your will and your promise for Isaac. Lord, that gives us great hope that as we live this life and a desire to be obedient to you, we're not going to do it perfectly, but we will be going in the right direction as we submit to you, pray to you, praise you, study your word, worship you in spirit and truth, in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. We desire to make much of the name of Jesus to accurately represent you in a lost and fallen world. Lord, we have no reason to be helpless or hopeless because we have Jesus, and that's all we need. It's everything we need. He is everything. So, Lord, I do pray for all of us in the coming days and weeks that we would not succumb to fear, that we would stand firm on the truth of who you are who we are in Christ as a result of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And that we would go out with a holy boldness but a humble certainty that we are your children and our eternal destination is secure when we repent, believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and abide in him. So Lord, please minister to our hearts in the coming days and weeks. May we respond to the opportunities to do good to others, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those we encounter. For your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.